This is the season of Easter. It's six weeks for reflecting upon the meaning, the impact of a historical event, the resurrection of Christ, to consider how we can view all things and all people with fresh eyes through the lens of God's impossible, improbable joke, as Steve referred to it last week, the cross and the resurrection. You may have read in the messenger that your preachers are embarking on a new series of sermons during Eastertide, the theme of which is, what do we stand for? What do we stand on? We uh, have many questions. We have many differences in our church as in every church. We negotiate the truth constantly in our lives. How can we even speak about standing on anything? Is there such a thing as an unchanging truth, an absolute conviction? Do you have absolute convictions in your faith? upon which you think everyone in this church ought to agree. It's a perilous, perhaps even arrogant enterprise for preachers to talk in such a way. After all, we are all limited in our understanding of the gospel, in our comprehension of reality. In fact, one of our denominational slogans is, we are reformed and always reforming. So perhaps the solid ground on which we will stand these six weeks will one day be a sinkhole. Still, I think it is important, and I know Steve agrees, that we need to try to elucidate at least some of the reasons that we claim to be one body, one faith with one baptism, one Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So what do we stand on? Today's lectionary text for us is from the early story of the community in Jerusalem. It's Acts chapter 4. And so we're going to begin by looking at what we believe about our identity as a church. Let's listen for the word of God. Now the whole group of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one claimed private ownership of any possessions, but everything they owned was held in common. With great power the apostles gave their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as owned lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold. They laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. This is the word of the Lord. So it was that the first day that I worked here at this church almost four years ago, the youth group was leaving for a trip called ASP, and they gave me a t-shirt as I got on the van. And the t-shirt 
says, the big, the big letters say, follow the word, transform the world. I think that is a slogan that the church in Jerusalem was living out. Follow the word, transform the world. Something was changing, something powerful was happening in that little group of people in Jerusalem, changing them from hiding and fearful and confused to a period of waiting in obedience to God, to Christ, and then the the event of Pentecost, the outpouring of the Spirit, this burst of enthusiasm and energy, a big bang in the church that sent them out in excitement, uh, testifying to the resurrection of Christ, meeting opposition from Jewish and civil authorities, but nevertheless, a new creation. They saw everything now from the perspective of the cross-resurrection event. Everything uh, looked different now because of the resurrection, the risen Christ. Earlier this week, I had the chance to go up to Augusta National and walk that course for a, a day. I'd never been there before, and so uh, when I came home, now I'm watching TV and I see these holes in a different way. I, I can appreciate the elevation change and the contours of the green and how, how difficult it is. I see it differently. You may not be a fan of theme parks, but when you see them through the eyes of a little one, a child or a grandchild, you're holding their hand as you walk through, and now it truly becomes the happiest place on earth. And so we see here a a group of people whose eyes are wide open to something new. We see that they're now engaged in new behaviors, specifically four different ways of being together are mentioned. First, they're coming together to receive teaching, to study, to reflect on the meaning of this historical event, this resurrection. They're coming together for teaching. And in the teaching, they're reflecting theologically as well as socially and even economically on the meaning of Jesus' life and teachings. They're also coming together daily at the temple They haven't thrown out all the old. They're holding on to much of their tradition. They're coming to the temple to worship and pray. Third, they're gathering at table. They're gathering for joyous communal meals where they share one with another. And as we know in Middle Eastern culture, sharing a meal meant brotherhood and sisterhood with those with whom you ate. This was a sign of deep acceptance. And and so every meal, every gathering at table for them was a joyful anticipation of that messianic banquet to come. And then fourth, they were in fellowship together. The word koinonia, In other words, they had all things in common. They cared for each other in practical ways. So we may 
hear all this and think, oh yeah, right. That's so idealistic. That couldn't really have happened that way. That's just a a dreamy sketch of something. Uh, But could they really have been that unified? Could they have really been uh, that unselfish with one another? At the at the end of the 4th century, in 393, there was a Greek playwright, Aristophanes, who wrote a comedy called Women in Charge. It was, it was a comedy. And in it, uh, he imagines women instead of men in charge of the city and a communal ownership of property instead of private property in in the economy of the city. And so the play really was a derisive uh, uh, mocking of such attitudes. And perhaps that is how we would look at this story in Acts. Oh, it may have worked for a couple of weeks, but really now, that seems pretty unrealistic. But if it is not unrealistic... If it is not, is it an obligatory model that we must follow? I don't know about that. I think Luke is really after something else. I think Luke is trying to say that when the fullness of the Spirit came upon these people, when the power of the resurrection sunk into them, It changed their lives. It changed their relationships. Not only their testimony outwardly, but how they lived together inwardly. All believers had everything in common, Luke says. The fundamental solidarity of love which they enjoyed is now uh, uh, involved in their economy. Can you imagine that? That their whole way of earning and spending and sharing is changed by Easter and Pentecost. So, we see here that no one claimed possessions to be strictly their own, but all shared as so that they made what they had available for needy brothers and sisters. The selling of their property was voluntary. The distribution was proportionate to need. It seems like such a crazy idea for us today, too far-fetched to even imagine. There were other societies, of course, who dreamed of ending poverty. The Greeks themselves, for example, Harken back to a golden age when all property was public. Pythagoras, it is said, practiced this way with his disciples when he wasn't inventing torturous geometric theorems for students in high school. He came up with this phrase, among friends, everything in common. Plato, in his Republic, talked about such a communal way of living. The Jewish Essenes practiced a type of radical sharing, placing their belongings and their possessions 
at the disposal of the community. And yet the inspiration for the Jewish church, although it wasn't even called a church then, the inspiration for them was not Pythagoras or Plato or the Essenes. It it really was Jesus. It was Jesus' way of being with them and of interpreting their scriptures, specifically Deuteronomy 15, where it says, there should be no poor among you, meaning among your, your community of faith. There should be no one in need here among you. And so they began to understand that Jesus' good news meant good news for the poor among them. So the church takes care of its own. It, its life together becomes a demonstration of what God intends for all the world. We have something like that in our book of order. Justin Martyr marveled at his own church, not far removed from the one in Jerusalem. He said, We once coveted most greedily the wealth and fortune of others, and now place in common the goods we possess, dividing them with the needy. So the power which broke the bonds of death on Easter that raised Jesus that shattered divisions of speech at Pentecost and helped heal the lame, now releases the community's tight grip of private property. Who would have thought that Easter has such economic implications? I am uh, reminded of something that Tim Simpson wrote recently. Uh, He was reflecting on this passage in Acts chapter 4. And here's what he said. As it was in Acts 4, there is an intrinsic correlation between our missional unity, or in this case disunity, and our understanding of possessions. We can't imagine a situation in which we might share all that we have in common. We live in a time in our country in which so many are in desperate need of the basics of life. When we should be living out hospitality together as an alternative way of life in opposition to militant consumerism, we instead have become that which we have otherwise been called to convert. Tim and his typical style calling us to a serious discipleship. So when you think about it, when you think about our life as a church together, we are the evidence for the resurrection. The most eloquent testimony to the reality of Jesus alive is not to find an empty tomb somewhere in Palestine. It is not a grand Easter pageant. It is a group of people whose life together has been radically 
changed by the power of the resurrection. So radical that it might even touch our economy, our relationships, our boundaries. Something decisive has happened in history, and now we live differently. So what do we stand for? What I see in this little passage of Scripture tells us this. We stand for the fact that the resurrection of Jesus Christ matters. It makes a difference. It changes things, changes us. No status quo, no business as usual, no returning to the way things were after last week. We are called to reflect upon the meaning of the resurrection together and to incarnate those meanings in community. So the, th- the second thing that we can stand on is that following the risen Christ is not something we can or need or should do alone. We are called to be the body of Christ. The incarnation of the body of Christ in the world together. Third, we exist not because the Presbyterian Church decided to have a church here on Park Street, not because our great-grandparents endowed something here, not because we think that it's a great idea. We're not here together because we all agree on something or because of an affinity that we have. We are here because... Jesus is our unity. He is the one who calls us to to be together. We could not be together were it not for him. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, you know, in every relationship, there is a third person. You and I relate to no one directly. Always there is an intermediary. It is Jesus. And so when we relate to each other, we are always relating as as ones for whom Christ died. As ones who have been included at the table. As ones who are now a part of the family of God. We exist because Jesus has called us into being. We are a new creation and we have been given a new mission. Fourth and finally, our life together is intended to be characterized by joy and love and a radical acceptance of one another. Our life together is a demonstration of the good news or it is not faithful to the gospel. So, when we think about where we are headed, all the different ways that we may have differences of opinion, all the different 
backgrounds that we come from or priorities we think Riverside should have. Let us be clear that our unity is in Christ. Let us be clear that our mission, our existence, is because of him. Let us be clear that his joy and love are gifts to us to share freely one with another. I'm reminded of that verse from Genesis that we often say at weddings. Whom God has joined together, let no one separate. Amen.